1: You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, episode 56, Game of Thrones. All right, it's Mike and Dave here with you, and this is a big one, Dave. I'll tell you, when we decided to talk about Game of Thrones, uh, which we haven't talked about on this podcast at all yet, just before it's swan song, I never thought that we'd be in the position of having to defend its final days in a way and talk about it with some enthusiasm in the midst of such negativity in the fandom out there for game of Thrones. What a surprise this has been.
2: Well, yeah, and you and I have been podcasting together for seven years now, and this is easily the most controversial show that we've had to discuss. Some of it founded, some of it, in my opinion, a bit unfounded. Season seven, I think, was the same way. And I think one of the things that I'd like to say that people that have been listening to us for a long time maybe know this. And perhaps because of our den of geek obligations where we're covering other shows, it's really difficult for the two of us to become totally invested in a show because we've got to move on to the next one that has a review due or a podcast due. And while we certainly are up to date, are fans of Game of Thrones, I think some of the criticisms don't hit the two of us quite as hard.
1: Oh, I think that's a very fair assessment because of the fact that our expectations are perhaps not as high <laughs> as some of the fans who have just been hardcore into this show. And I certainly came to it very late. So yeah, I, I definitely see what you're saying there. And, you know, I think also people who have read the books have a different view and blame some of the shortcomings of season seven and eight on the fact that it's post George R. R. Martin's books, <laughs> the content that they could pull from. So there's a lot of different reasons we'll go over real quick before we dive in fully. But I want to mention up front that, you know, this obviously is a spoiler riddled podcast for anybody who hasn't seen Game of Thrones. But in terms of season eight, we're going to treat episodes one and two as something that we can talk about outside of the spoiler zone, because we assume people have at least seen that far and the real hard hitting stuff doesn't come till episode three anyway. But if you are not caught up with Game of Thrones, don't worry, we will alert you with the spoiler zone before we start talking about episodes three through five. And of course, Dave, the podcast, uh, this episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity does come out on the day of the finale. So we are staying away from the finale altogether. And I think that actually might be fun in terms of discussing what we think might happen and whether or not it will make a difference for people's opinions at this point.
2: And that's a an F word that hasn't been associated with season eight very often. What's that? Fun.
1: Fun. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, uh, you know, so speaking of season eight, we, we've got six episodes beginning April 14th, 2019. And like season seven, season eight consists of original content not found in George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series because he hasn't written them yet. Right and they're adapting material that Martin has revealed to the showrunners and certainly that's one of the aspects that really is getting on fans that they blame the showrunners for the direction that the story has taken and since none of us know what Martin's contract reads and none of us really know how much he's communicated with them and I tried to find out and I've Yeah, I found a lot of vague pieces where he said, uh, you know, I talked to them. They know how it's supposed to end. But at the end of the day, it's up to them. And I guess I find it hard to believe that George R.R. Martin in his contract doesn't have some say. Maybe I'm wrong.
1: Yeah. Well, here's the thing, too. First of all, I do believe that obviously there has to be something in his mind, in his outline or whatever he has about Jon Snow and his origins, his family origins. However, I do wonder if, based on the fan reaction of this, whether if when he eventually does get to writing the finale, whether he might change his mind even if he did tell D&D how to end this (laughs) series.
2: Right. I mean, again, we're not going to spoil it now, but I I find it hard to believe that George R.R. Martin watched episode five and said, Oh, my God, they did this. (laughs) Yeah. So at the end of the day, for the two of us, have we been entertained by season eight? And I would say, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's the thing is that it's not like the audience out there didn't know that season eight was only going to have six episodes and they knew what content had to be covered in that amount of time. So what did they expect? Right. (laughs) You know?
2: I mean, it took Martin two years to write the first book. It took him five years to write, I believe, it was the third book, six years to write, I think, the fifth book. So to expect the showrunners in the amount of time they had, I think, is perhaps a little unreasonable. But again, I understand, you know, there certainly are some things to pick apart, but. Let's go ahead and get into episode 801 titled Winterfell. And as I look back on the season, the way it's transpired thus far, I guess you could say the pacing has seemed a bit contrived because in in episode 801, all of the families are assembling at Winterfell. And I guess what's cool about that is these are all families that really do hate each other.
1: Right. And I think the biggest part of that with all the stuff that has happened over the past seasons, everyone kind of had to put some of that stuff aside. And then some of that was contrived too. sometimes the forgiving and forgetting was a bit much to ask of some of these characters. But on the other hand, seeing these characters that haven't been together for so long back again, or meeting for the first time in the final season, that was pretty exciting stuff. And I think most people agree that the first episode still had a lot of hope amongst Game of Thrones fans for that reason.
2: Right. And the fact that they're all going to confront the Night King, some of whom still aren't convinced really exists, which I (laughs) find very compelling. But of course, we learned at the end of season seven that, that Jon Snow is the true heir to the Iron Throne as a result of the fact that his true parents are Rhaegar, Targaryen, and Lyanna Stark. And of course, he doesn't want the throne, Tonight, we see the news delivered to him by Samwell Tarly. And again, the cool thing there is these two have become best friends. But Sam just learned that Danny executed his father and brother. So his enthusiasm is a little tempered here.
1: Right. And I don't know that we would have necessarily predicted when Daenerys executed his family that this moment would come where he was the one delivering this news. But I have to say that. The reaction separated between the two where he wasn't too terribly upset about his father since he was kind of a jerk anyway, but it wasn't until he heard about his brother as well that he just couldn't compose himself, even though he tried to bow out gracefully. That was really well done.
2: Right. And I think this is one of those incidents that I think some of the critics of how Danny's character has played out perhaps forgot about. Because I I don't think the brother really did anything to deserve to die. But we've got the issue that John abandoned the throne by bending the knee to Danny, And, of course, that doesn't sit well with the people of the North who see her as the quintessential outsider. And I love when Sansa just asks him, well, did you bend the knee to save the North or because you love her? And it's not a simple question.
1: No, there's plenty of complexity there. And the fact that, you know, Danny is on board because of the threat from the Night King. And everything else is sort of put to the side for a little while because you can't forget her hunger to retake what she considers the Targaryen birthright. So it's not something that, oh, everything's rosy just because everyone's cooperating on this common goal for the moment. So Sansa, I think, in that sense, is taking the long view.
2: Yeah. And certainly it speaks to her wisdom. And as most of the characters, she's certainly been through quite a bit in her short life. But then we also have Euron Greyjoy and the Greyjoys always promise great narrative storytelling because they're I don't even want to say they're morally ambiguous because, no, they're just morally reprehensible.
1: Right. Well, I think Euron does suffer from being a little bit of a caricature, but I did like his evolution uh, towards the end as we get through uh, episodes one through five.
2: Well, right. And he does, I think, understand the bigger picture. He wants to marry Cersei so that he can then sit on the throne with her. She has sex with him. And I started thinking about the fact that Jamie has, I guess, become estranged With her at this point. I mean, she puts out a hit on him. Does she have sex with Euron Greyjoy so that when the time comes for the baby to be born, and that's assuming that she really is pregnant? I mean, just because she says it doesn't necessarily make it true, but so that the baby's parentage might be in question.
1: Right. And I think that's something that I wish we could have seen a little bit more play out because I do think that it was all implied by a small smile from Cersei that she might be scheming to make Euron think her current pregnancy comes from him. So that, that would have been nice to see a little bit more of, especially once Jamie comes back into the picture.
2: Right. And then also in episode 801, Jon gets to take his first ride on a dragon. And I think what a lot of people at the beginning of the sequence forget supposedly only a Targaryen can ride a dragon.
1: Well, don't you think that was a little bit of a blithe reaction, both on Danny's part and on John's part? I do. Oh, oh, he can just do this. We won't question it. Obviously, the audience has it's a sort of a wink and a nod that we know why he's able to do this successfully. But Danny acts as though it's something that they're going to do together as a couple or something like that. Like there's no logic to it. But obviously, there's a very key reason why Raygell is able to uh, follow John's lead.
2: Right. And, and at this point, we're wondering well, what's she going to do when she learns the truth of John's birth? Because we've already had time to put this together and understand how they are related now. But we get to episode 802, Night of the Seven Kingdoms. And all of the families have been assembled, and now it's the eve of battle, and it's more of a reflective episode. The different groups are drinking, eating. Most of them are cognizant of the fact that they will likely die the next day. So it's, of course, the quintessential setup episode, and that's okay because there's this bonding among disparate groups and individuals that, that really makes for some compelling scenes.
1: And I think this is probably where the worry began on the part of the audience, realizing, as I said earlier, that there are only six episodes. So how are they going to pace this? And this one seemed like it was maybe taking too much time. But I would argue that because of the actions of episode three, especially, you had to take this moment to reflect. And I think the characters that they chose to center in on, especially Brienne, is some of my favorite stuff. To, to see that that developed and give it a chance to breathe.
2: Right. And obviously the scenes between Jamie and Brienne are the cause of a lot of fan anger going forward. But at this point in episode two, he's got to defend himself before Sansa and Danny. And this is the Kingslayer and it's Brienne's heartfelt support for Sir Jamie that tips the balance in his favor because Sansa trusts Brienne completely And accepts her argument. Now, Danny agrees, but you can tell there's some reluctance there. And it's certainly understandable.
1: Yeah, that's the thing is like Jamie has had a long, hard road towards redemption and he is not fully redeemed. So it's hard to give him a full pass.
2: (laughs) Right. And of course, he's got the confrontation with Bran, who obviously, and I guess that was in season one when he pushes him out the second story window because He saw him having sex with Cersei, and I think we have to accept at that point he meant to kill him rather than simply cripple him.
1: Right, and this is a confrontation years in the making, right? So it was a little bit understated, but I did like that they had this moment.
2: Right, and then of course we get the knighting scene, which may be the most heartfelt scene certainly in this
1: episode. I loved it.
2: But one of the characters, and we'll talk about Sansa a lot as we go forward, but she's now attired in black leather chains, doesn't back down to Danny, who tells her, I'm here because I love your brother. And that's also, again, such an important part of the story as we move towards its conclusion. But I just really love this new Sansa who's setting herself up to be one of the candidates to sit on the iron throne
1: or at the very least be in charge of the North since John doesn't want that either. And I like that there is quite a bit of reluctance in the same vein as Sansa on the part of the kingdoms of the North.
2: Right. And we get the confrontation scene between John and Danny down in the crypt. He tells her the truth and rightly so. She's skeptical that he's Aegon Targaryen and, she understands what it means for the iron throne. And, and this is something that she's had her sights set on for quite some time. So the fact that now her primary competition is the man she loves and who she thinks loves her back again, makes for some compelling storytelling, but there's been a lot of talk about how the female characters have been handled. And I think certainly most of us have been, Relatively pleased with Brienne's arc, and it it sort of reaches its apex when Jamie decides to knight her. And we learn that, well, any knight can create another knight. And and again, at first, she thinks he's mocking her. And and I guess that's what's so beautiful about the scene is that, no, he's not at all, which, of course, makes his later actions (laughs) add fuel to the fan fire. But it, it is a great scene, no question.
1: I do find myself questioning whether Jamie being fully cognizant, I assume, of Brienne's feelings for him. She doesn't really hide that. She doesn't have a great poker face, let's say. No. And whether or not he's using that to a certain extent just as a way of validating himself a little bit. Not overtly. And certainly he has a lot of noble intent behind knighting her. But at the same time, I almost feel like he's playing to his audience a bit.
2: Right. And then we get the War Council, and Bran says that because the Night King is after him as the Three Eyed Raven, use me as bait to draw out the Night King. And Theon Greyjoy, again, you talk about characters seeking redemption, he steps forward and offers to protect Bran. And then the scene that I'm just surprised it created so much controversy, and that's Arya having sex. I mean, the actress is 22. She was 11 when the series began and okay, fine, but she's 22 now in the series uh, I'm assuming her character's got to be around 17 and this is a time period when the lifespan was relatively short. She chooses who she's going to have sex with. He's a nice guy. He really likes her. I uh, I just don't get it yeah she realizes I might die tomorrow I hear everybody talking about how great it is so
1: and she was doing it on her own terms without any kind of strings attached although obviously Gendry wanted some strings to be attached but it was something that Arya wanted at this point in her life on the eve of battle who wouldn't (laughs) yep
0: yep so
2: all right well Mike why don't we take a quick break and when we return we'll pick up with episode 803 which will then introduce the spoiler zone All right. Well, we're back. And episode 803 is titled The Long Night. And after the family's assembling in episode one, everybody talking on the eve of battle in episode two, we now actually have the battle and defeat of the Night King and Danny's dragons light up the dead army, leading us to think, well, this battle might not be as difficult as we thought. And, of course, that's not exactly how things turn out here.
1: Well, also, I think we were meant to get some hope from Melisandre showing up and lighting up all the Dothraki blades before battle, too. It was almost like they were super scared and that gave them a glimmer of hope. And then they took us right back down into the depths of despair again.
2: <laughs> right. And battle tactics have also come under a hailstorm of criticism and and some are warranted some i think maybe are owed to the inexperience of the people in the battle i certainly know these people are battle tested but i'm not sure on this scale how much experience they really have
1: but on the flip side of that this is my only complaint my main complaint about Season eight is the battle tactics. And there's more later that there's one in particular that gets my goat, and I'll mention it when we get to it. But yeah, I, I understand this complaint. I, it's just some of the other stuff that character development wise I feel is unwarranted.
2: Yeah. And certainly we were waiting with bated breath as to who was going to die and who was going to survive. And there were some great heroic deaths in this episode lady mormont i i think was certainly one that i think for most of us it was an afterthought that she would even be in the fight but to her credit she's one of the first hell yes i'm gonna be there and she's the one that manages to kill the giant with a stake through the eye just as she's thrown to her death and and obviously from a visual perspective the smallest person defeats the largest so that was certainly cool
1: And I think they balanced it well because they had to throw in some meaningless deaths because I think it was important to communicate the message that war is not fair. And so some of the people who will die are really going to take it. And this is certainly true. Even in later episodes are not necessarily going to die the way you hoped they would with a moment for them to reflect on their life or whatever. And lady Mormont was the exception to that. And I think she deserved that. And it also let us see, Oh, we have this kind of death, but we also have the meaningless kind of death. And I think the only complaint that people had, and I I kind of am half with the complainers on this one is the number of people and the specific people who they chose to kill off seemed a little bit less than what people were expecting. They knew this was going to be the big battle. And I think there was an expectation that some of the big characters would go out.
2: Well, that's certainly how I felt. And in retrospect, I'm disappointed still. On the other hand, I get it, I guess, but
1: I liked Lady Mormont's death. I liked Theon's death. <laughs> and
2: I, I was okay with Jorah's death. I mean, he makes this final heroic stand to protect the woman that he loves, even though he knows she can never love him back in the same way. And, and the fact that she knows that he knows, I think just makes it all the more heroic she is distraught when he dies
1: and he just keeps getting up again and again so yeah you're right that that was a good one too
2: (laughs) right and then you mentioned theon and does he gain total redemption i don't know that that's even possible but there are few that have suffered as much as he suffered and granted he brought a lot of it on himself there's no question but decision to protect Bran, charge the Night King, Uh, maybe not a hero's death, but certainly a heroic death.
1: Yeah. And there's not much good to say about the Greyjoy family, but to give Theon at least something was, was, you know, a point in their favor.
2: (laughs) Right. And if anybody's going to bring down the Night King, don't you think it should be Arya?
1: Yeah. And I don't think there's any real argument about this. I think everyone agrees that Arya was the one to do this. They maybe had different predictions for it, but it makes all kinds of sense. And I do think that the overwhelming majority of response that I saw out there was, Team Arya, go Arya, you know, that sort of thing.
2: Right, and a nice parallel with Lady Mormont bringing down the giant, so so I, I definitely like that. What I'm still not comfortable with is the whole take out the leader, the army dies trope.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And the thing is, It would have been one thing if we had known this ahead of this episode, but Bran introduces the concept in the same episode where it happens. And so that had the flavor of, Oh, we just kind of made this up to make it give them a little bit of hope against the overwhelming hordes. Cause you could see they had no hope of going head to head with all these dead people, especially when the night King can just bring your dead into his fold.
2: (laughs) Right, which is a little surprising once we actually see it transpire. But uh, all right, so 804 is titled Game of Thrones. And at this point, the, the major battle is over. The Night King has been defeated. The armies are sailing and marching to King's Landing to take down Cersei. So the way the season is structured, we've got these hills and valleys. So now we're sort of you know, in this valley as everything is setting up episode 805 for another big battle. But as you alluded to in in, uh, the discussion a few minutes ago, Gendry, now titled Lord of Storm's End by Daenerys, asks Arya to marry him, which I think completely catches her off guard, which again, as you said, it was on her terms and she had no misunderstanding. Conceptions that it meant anything other than what it was.
1: Exactly. And we would have been upset had she said yes. And the phrase she uses with him is, That's not me. I'm not going to be a lady of the castle. And that's not me goes way back even to season one when she first started training as an assassin. So it really is something that couldn't have happened. But it was logical that Gendry made that choice based on his sudden rise in uh, nobility.
2: Right. So what'd you think about Jamie and Brienne having sex?
1: Okay. now this one I did have a little trouble with not because of them having sex, because that was fine as it was. Although I do have to say it seemed again, like Jamie was playing to an audience. Like he thought, Oh, she's a virgin. Therefore I must take it upon myself. It is my duty to, you know, help her out with that issue. And that was a little creepy in my view. And of course the fact that the same episode that finds Brienne getting what she wants after all this time also is joined by a scene in which he leaves her and she cries about it. I did not like that at all.
2: No. And at that point I felt sorry for her, of course, because she's crying. But just as you point out, Jamie's motives for doing it in the first place are nowhere near pure. Right. So, you know, I think it makes sense when we get to the end of his character's arc in episode eight Oh five, that I don't know why some people are so surprised that he ends up making these decisions that he makes.
1: Well, I think it was because it was a slow road to get him here where he was being accepted by Sansa and Danny reluctantly, of course, but then to have him do an about face, <laughs> especially since at this point in the season, I was starting to think, oh, wouldn't it be interesting? Arya got the Night King. Maybe Jamie will get rid of Cersei somehow, like he'll have a moment where he's able to get close to her and then kill her. And that's obviously not what happened.
2: <laughs> right. But I guess I then look at Jamie's character as somebody that's experienced. He's the Kingslayer. What does he think is going to happen if he doesn't? Agree to work with them.
1: Yeah, (laughs) well, there is a couple of different things. There is that, but there is also the fact that he and Tyrion are threatened, and they realize that Cersei has asked for them to be killed. And so, whether that plays into his decision to do an about face is also something that comes into play. So, I think those scenes didn't really play. I don't. I don't want to say logically because that did have a certain amount of logic. But we couldn't tell what was going on in Jamie's head there.
2: Right. Now, one of the things that comes up in episode 804 is that John and Danny have to confront the new knowledge that they both have now. And she suggests not telling anybody the truth so that they can go on as they have. He doesn't want the throne. And she thinks Rightly so, that the truth will destroy them, but obviously it sets a stage for this big conflict between the two of them, which is a big part of 805. But none of them are convinced about Danny's leadership qualities. John, Sansa, Arya argue about her and whether or not she'll make a good queen, and for supposedly keeping you know, the knowledge about his parentage, a secret. Uh, well, I'll just tell Bran. (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that
1: Bran has to do the telling off camera, he's, you know, it's off stage that that happens. That was a little weird for me because obviously John did not agree to keep it secret as Danny wanted him to, but for him to bring it up in a conversation that's about them, not trusting her seems a weird choice because of course that's not going to be convincing Otherwise. So what did he think he was going to get out of telling them that he is the rightful heir to the Iron Throne, just as they're expressing their doubts about her fitness for the throne? <laughs> That's a not choice. And of course, he tells them that they have to keep it a secret. And that doesn't even last a single scene before Sansa is telling Tyrion and, uh, and others.
2: Right. And, and of course, the question Sansa asks Tyrion, what if there's somebody better? Of course, meaning John rather than Danny. But then Jamie makes that decision. He can't let Cersei go. He leaves Brienne to return home. And then I guess this is the point where a lot of fans feel his character arc has been totally screwed up. And I guess I, and again, as I said at the top of the show, I. I'm not so invested in Game of Thrones. I've I've been watching it since day one. I've seen every episode pretty much as they air. But for me, this is a guy that had sex with his sister, fathered <laughs> children with his sister, attempted to kill Bran, who saw them. And now you're surprised in the end that he goes back to his sister. That doesn't surprise me.
1: No, it does It shouldn't surprise people that he did that. It's just that the actions that surrounded it seemed a little bit dissonant. And I understand that, but you're, yeah, you're right. I I don't see why people are questioning people's motives. I think the main problem I have, and this episode is filled with them. uh, Episode 804 is by far the weakest of the bunch, but my big thing is battle strategy. People argued about the battle strategy against the night King, but the strategy where they're in the air on the dragons and somehow do not spot the Golden Fleet <laughs> I don't know how that happened, and the fact that Euron was able to take out one of the dragons with a weapon that only pointed in one direction. And how they couldn't get behind her. And it would have been one thing if that happened, because obviously they needed to get rid of one of the dragons because of what happened in episode eight oh five. They needed it to be down to just Drogon. But the contrast between the ease with which Euron takes out Rhaegal and the ease with which Danny's able to fly Drogon through hails of scorpion arrows much more so than what they came up with here is a little bit much to take. And that's my main complaint with season eight is Rhaegal's death and the decimation of their fleet on the way south.
2: Well, the only... Reason I would say that I can accept it is that I look to history and World War Two. Oh, geez, if we just send these bombers over this city, the other side's fighters are just going to shoot them down. Maybe we better send fighters along with them. She'd never really encountered anything like that before. And yes, you can say Euron got off a lucky shot, whatever, but. In the final battle at King's Landing, I think she understands so much better what it is she's up against. And she doesn't fly straight into a hail of arrows. Well,
1: that's true. That's true.
2: You know, she has more of a conception of what it is she's facing. So that's how I can accept what happened there. But Masande is captured and eventually beheaded in front of the negotiating team, which enrages Danny and probably contributes to her decision in episode 805 talk about tactical errors. I mean, Cersei, what do you possibly gain by doing that?
1: Yeah, it's communicating a message, but you're also dealing with someone who might be mad, might be going mad like her father. And then that's the other thing that has to be mentioned. A lot of complaints about what Danny did. I think we are going to have to confront the fact that there were signs all along Throughout the seasons, and there are articles about this on Den of Geek and elsewhere, where you can point to where Danny showed us signs that this kind of thing was going to happen long ago. So this should not be a surprise to anybody. But we'll talk about motivation when we get to eight hundred five, because I also have something to say about that.
2: Right now, Varys is one of those characters that you're never quite sure, yeah, <laughs> how far to trust them. But he's right when he suggests to Tyrion. Maybe we should consider assassinating Danny and put John on the throne, even though John claims he doesn't want it. Now, of course, Tyrion turns him in and he ends up getting executed, but he's not wrong in considering that possibility.
1: No, and I think it's a combination of things for Tyrion. First, that Varys keeps bringing this up, but also that he went to John with the idea. And Tyrion was looking down into the courtyard when Jon told Varys, no, in no uncertain terms. And that's when he turned him in. Right.
2: So, you know, into 805 titled The Bells, all about the removal of Cersei Lannister from King's Landing. And and obviously the most controversial episode of season eight. Oh, you think so? Uh, Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, because of the one scene that we'll talk about in a second i mean you know we mentioned danny doesn't make the same tactical mistakes again but why not just fly to the red keep (laughs) and wipe that
1: out well okay so this is where we have to speak to motivation because there's a whole setup where Tyrion is convinced that if they just give them a chance they will ring the bells and surrender that people will see reason And especially that's especially true. Once he sends Jamie in with the express instruction to get to the bells, even though obviously Jamie does not succeed in that because he isn't able to make it inside the gates, but it's a moot point because they do end up ringing the bells anyway. And it's not until that point that Danny has to decide. And we really have to talk about what is her motivation and when does she make that decision And for me, it all comes down to what she says to John, whether they rule from love, which is what they would do if he was on the throne, or whether she's going to have to rule out of fear because he's obviously getting a little bit uncomfortable with making out with his aunt. (laughs) And she realizes that this is not going to work. Therefore, I choose fear. She comes right out and says it. So even though it's a tough choice for her, I think she makes it in the end because she knows that the only way she will rule on the Iron Throne is through fear.
2: Right now, she's got some sort of an explanation about considering generations in the future, almost that I'm going to lay waste to everything and we'll start anew. Yeah, not buying it,
1: Danny. A bit of a rationalization.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's just simply horrific. And obviously we see men, women, children, totally innocent, dying these horrific deaths. And we see it through Arya's perspective for the most part as she's trying to get out of the city because she went in there with the express purpose of killing Cersei, but the Hound convinces her Don't do it. She's going to die anyway. Save yourself. And I was so happy that Arya decided to make the smart decision and get out of the city.
1: Right. And I like that a lot of this happens with no dialogue. We see her going from shelter to shelter that keeps collapsing on her and that she's covered in dust and coughing everywhere. And all kinds of different things are done without much dialogue so that we can see the horror through someone's eyes that we trust and admire
2: right and and, you know the other thing that that i forgot to mention the bells are ringing john's trying to pull everybody back but once danny starts laying waste to street after street the dothraki and the unsullied see her act as a message to just slaughter everything in sight which then we have to consider for episode 806 danny's got this huge army now that's going to be loyal to her, whether or not they should be. It goes back to what she said to John. I'll take fear.
1: Right, And, you know, John has this image as like the hero that does no wrong. But when it comes right down to it, the unsullied and all the rest of them are human. And they're even depicted trying to drag women off into alleyways to rape and pillage. You know, it's not like these guys are perfect.
2: Right. And John tries to stop them. And of course, I understand that in the past, Danny would have been the one trying to stop the raping and pillaging.
1: Right. You can't place the entire blame. Obviously, a majority of the blame goes to Danny. But she has followers. Yeah.
2: Yeah. All right. And then finally, the Sandor... Versus Gregor grudge match finally takes place.
1: Clegain bowl as they call it. <laughs>
2: yeah. You know, <laughs> I know a lot of people were looking forward to it and you know, it was cool. It's, I enjoyed it. She's a blade through the eye and he's
1: <laughs> barely phased. Well, the mountain is one of my favorite characters. I just love the way that he is completely devoted to Cersei, not through natural means. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I like that this confrontation happened needed to happen including the death by fire (laughs) that was so appropriate for the hound who feared fire so much. And so I I really liked that scene thrown in amongst the journey for Arya and and other parts of the battle. So it was kind of like a confrontation that had to happen while we were despairing about what was happening around them.
2: So did you like Arya's final scene?
1: There's a lot of questions I have about, this white horse though and I think there are some articles out there I haven't read them but it seems a bit symbolic in its way
2: yeah I I mean I'm not sure what I, I don't think anybody expects Arya to sit on the Iron Throne I think she's exactly the same as John she doesn't want it
1: well and that's the thing it's weird that we're doing this podcast the way we are because like I said we put this on our schedule long before we knew what season eight was going to become And so I pictured us talking about, oh, isn't this great? And here we have our predictions for the end. And the podcast is coming out on the day of the finale. So probably by the time a lot of listeners are checking out this podcast, they'll know the answer. And my big question is, is the ending unexpected? Is it something that perhaps justifies some of the things that happened along the way? Or is it just more fuel on the fire?
2: Okay. So what does 806 look like? Obviously, the biggest question who will ultimately sit in the Iron Throne? And pretty much throughout season eight, since John has said he doesn't want it, since I feel that Danny's not going to necessarily survive, I I feel like it's going to be Sansa.
1: Okay. And will that be satisfying, is the question, you know? What kind of things are going to have to happen? To not only, you know, there's going to be some people that won't be satisfied because of what happened before this. But then there's viewers like you and me, Dave, that there might be an ending that's going to be like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. And it creates a certain amount of satisfaction. So I can't really predict what that looks like. Right.
2: But I guess of the available, a.k.a. living individuals at this point, I mean, who's an option? I mean, do you think John will back down and say fine i'll sit on the iron throne do you think danny will survive because i wonder whether somebody is going to try to assassinate her and that would be Arya, and take her out of the
1: equation (laughs) i know because my heart wants to say john has to take it even as a reluctant ruler but again would that satisfy i don't know there's going to have to be something that just gives us a gut punch <laughs> where we're just like, Oh man, I wasn't expecting that. And it gets you thinking about since this series is over, what happens now, what happens after the events of the finale in our mind, where, where do we think it would go because of what happened? And if it's successful in creating that kind of speculation, then I'll call it a win.
2: Okay. Well, I, I forget whether it was one of the showrunners that said this, I, I believe it was, if you're watching Game of Thrones for happy endings, you're watching the wrong show.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: And I will absolutely be satisfied if it's Sansa on the Iron Throne, because she will have John as her right hand man leading her armies. She trusts him totally. I would love to see Arya as her hand.
1: Oh, that would be cool.
2: Rather than John, even.
1: Uh, Arya would make a perfect hand. Definitely. I would be on board with that.
2: But I don't think she'll want it. I, I-, I think somebody like John might end, you know, it's just Arya is like John in so many ways. But the the thing about Sansa, you start talking about the morality of the different characters and there are probably no pure characters. Most of them are some moral shade of gray. I just think Sansa is closer to the white end of the spectrum in terms of morality of the people that are, left. I mean, certainly John, but
1: it doesn't bother you that she had to stay out of the battle during the fight with the night King or anything like that.
2: You know, it did, but I got over it.
1: <laughs> All right. But, I mean, and- she's not
2: a warrior. What other women fought in the battle? I mean, again, this is a time period when there were these strict lines drawn and Brienne is the exception. Aria is the exception
1: Lady Mormont is the exception.
2: Well, well, but uh, so I'm okay with Sansa. I mean, really, what would be the point of having her out there? So, yeah, I'm waiting to see how Danny justifies her actions. And like I said, I think there's going to be an attempt on her life, whether it's successful or not. I don't know. But, boy, yeah, I don't know if you saw the viewership numbers for episode five. I believe it was, what, 18 million? (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, just wow. the, the amount of people that are waiting with bated breath, even if they're hate watching the show, is just amazing. Yep. All right. Well, Game of Thrones, obviously a big topic, and we hope you enjoyed our somewhat different kind of analysis than what you might have seen out there. But we've got a little bit of shifting gears coming up next on the podcast, Dave. We've got an interview that perhaps some might say because of another podcast we're doing is long in the in the making. <laughs>
2: Yeah, Marissa Tancheron, Jed Whedon, Jeff Bell of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. As you said, long time coming, but it's a show that's off to a great start.
1: Right. And uh, we'll talk with them a little bit about season six in a spoiler free kind of way if you haven't checked out the series yet. But we'll also do a little bit of discussion about how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is going along with its season six so far as well. So that's next week. And hopefully you guys will want to tune in for that one. But that's going to be it for this Game of Thrones episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US. And we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity.
2: And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it. And be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics on social media or via email to Sci-Fi Fidelity at gmail.com.
1: Yes, we've got a future discussion topic that was suggested by one of our listeners. So... Looking forward to that one. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.